0: Good evening, Israeli forces attack a funeral procession in Jerusalem. Linda Thomas-Greenfield speaks out on behalf of a Al Jazeera reporter who was shot to death while covering protests in Jenin in the West Bank. We speak with a former negotiator about a road to peace between Russia and Ukraine and more on the shooting of 13 people, 10 of whom were killed at a mall in Buffalo, New York, a shooting that's been widely condemned as racially motivated. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, May 16th, 2022. Clashes between Israeli security forces and mourners carrying the coffin containing the body of slain journalist Shirin Abu Akla took place before a funeral in Jerusalem's old city. Thousands of Palestinians gathered for a memorial service for the Al Jazeera reporter before her body is taken to Mount Zion Protestant Cemetery for burial. Reportedly, a young Palestinian protester was killed in the uh, rioting that occurred, the cause being the the cause of the conflict. The reason why the funeral was attacked by baton-wielding Israeli police was because – the uh, mourners and the people carrying the coffin, the pallbearers, were flying Palestinian flags. I'm watching that right now as we speak. And at one point, which I'm watching as we speak, the coffin was almost tipped over and dropped on the ground. Those uh, images shocked the world. And Pierre Battista Pizzabala, the Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, confided. Uh, Pardon me. The Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem condemned the violent intrusion by the Israeli police at the funeral during a press conference in East Jerusalem today.
1: We are still very
0: shocked for what happened. We are still, we are mourning, a, a journalist that was uh, uh, shot during her work and and. Uh, In a moment where we Christians wanted just to mourn and pray for her, we have been uh, uh, forced to assist to such an event. So I read the statement, very short and very simple, but also very clear. We had churches and faithful of the Christian churches in the Holy Land hereby condemn the violent intrusion of the Israeli police into a funeral procession of the slain journalist Shireen Abu Akleh. And that's Pira Bautista Pizzabala, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem. Meanwhile, over the weekend, United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield gave the commencement address for the Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs. She gave the strongest condemnation of the shootings of Shireen Abu Akleh by the federal government to date. And today, I'm thinking of Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu (laughs) Akleh. Shireen was killed just days ago in the West Bank. And I, I met her. I met her during a trip to Ramallah last summer, and I instantly recognized that she was someone who was in the ring for all of the right reasons. There must be justice for her and for all journalists senselessly killed while doing their jobs. United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Palestinian authorities claim that the Israeli military shot her in the head. Israeli military uh, spokespeople suggested that Shireen might have been killed by stray fire from Palestinians. Israel's Defense Minister Benny Gantz has announced an investigation, but many Palestinians say an independent investigation is necessary. According to Al Jazeera, the news outfit to whom Shireen reported reported, Protests on behalf of Shireen have happened in dozens of locations spanning the globe, including major cities in the United States and Europe, as well as India, Pakistan, Iraq, and Australia. The veteran Al Jazeera journalist was born in Jerusalem in 1971. She studied journalism in Jordan, returning to Palestine, and becoming an Al Jazeera reporter in 1997. She covered five wars between Israel and Gaza and the 2006 war in Lebanon. Dangerous job. In another war raging across Ukraine, the controversial unit holed up beneath the Azovstal steelworks in Mariupol said today its garrison was following orders to save the lives of troops, an apparent sign that the longest and bloodiest battle of the Ukraine war had come to an end. A dozen buses apparently carrying Ukrainian fighters leaving the plant were seen today. Some six hundred fighters have been estimated to be inside the vast Soviet era plant, including dozens of wounded. The Azov regiment fighting in the steel plant has been directly criticized for using ultra-nationalist banners and symbols, the Russian government repeatedly calling the division Nazis. The steelworks was the last Ukrainian-held bastion in the once prosperous port, now in ruins after months of Russian siege The Ukraine says killed tens of thousands of people. In related news, on Friday, Russian President Vladimir Putin and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz discussed uh, pardon me, discussed Ukraine in a telephone call. Putin told Scholz that progress in negotiations over an end to the conflict had been essentially blocked by Kyiv, but contacts between Germany and Russia would continue. There have been a handful of public peace meetings, a trip by the United Nations General Secretary and a meeting brokered by Turkey, but the war grinds on now for more than 11 weeks. A former negotiator on the Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe is John Quigley. He was involved in negotiations after the breakup of the Soviet Union when he says fears of future conflict were considered, in part because so many Russian-speaking people resided in former republics of the Soviet Union that were now independent. There is a possibility for peace, Quigley tells WBAI, but but both sides have to give something up.
2: A stalemate is the perfect opportunity for peace. If Russia were running all over Ukraine, they would have no incentive to negotiate. But the fact that they're in this stalemate, that they may think it's not worth trying, (laughs) means that they might well want to negotiate their way out of it. How would they go about that? I think it would help if some outside states did take an initiative. That often happens when you have neither side wanting to make it look as if it is the one that is desperate <laughs> for peace. So if an outside party says, why don't you two get together, that can facilitate it.
0: What would they both be able to give up in order to both gain something?
2: I can see a very ready avenue towards peace. Part of what has been an issue is Ukraine in relation to NATO, they could come up with some kind of formulation that would be ambiguous in that regard. The territorial situation, I think, is more concrete. It is feasible to be worked out. What I have been suggesting is that Ukraine should decide to make a concession in regard to Crimea in the interest of getting Russia to make concessions in regard to the Donbass. The Ukrainian government really has never had much of a connection to Crimea. If you look at it historically, they don't have majority population there. They've only had nominal control since 1954 when Khrushchev moved it from Russia into Ukraine and Russia frankly is not likely to give it back then with regard to the Donbass that could be worked out if Ukraine government would agree to some sort of autonomy which at this point wouldn't be very difficult I think for Ukraine because I think even many of the Russian speakers are not very happy with Russia at this point given the military action that could lead to giving russia a way of claiming a victory so that it could withdraw and it apparently hasn't been able to take very much territory there over the last week or so if that situation continues it may well be that some of the top rats in russia will approach Mr. Putin and say, look, we've got to get out of there.
0: Why do you think uh, such a, a mighty country like Russia, which everybody thought could easily just waltz in and do this, has uh, become bogged down? And what does that say? I mean, with the U.S. is really upping its ante as far as what it seems to want to get out of this.
2: I don't have a good answer to that. I'm not privy to the details of the Russian military beyond what other people have been speculating about In the press, but it does appear that their system of control and their command structure is not very solid for for this kind of an operation
0: the generals aren't taking orders or the messages aren't getting to them or they don't do what they're told to do they just go well
2: that yeah that's what i'm hearing that's why they've had so many generals getting killed. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's unusual to have generals in a position yeah. where they can get killed so that does give you some i think indication that there is something wrong
0: what does this mean for the future of russia after this is over
2: i would hope that Russia and the Russian people would see that this is not the way to handle affairs. There is a legitimate concern for the Russian speakers in the territories that came out of the Soviet Union.
0: And that's John Quigley. He was a former negotiator on the Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe that uh, helped negotiate the breakup of the Soviet Union in the 1990s. And... In national news, an investigation into the shooting of more than a dozen people, mostly black with 10 killed in Buffalo, New York, has turned to whether warning signs of the attack were missed. Authorities said Peyton Gendron, 18, carried out an act of racially motivated violent extremism when he opened fire with a semi-automatic rifle on Saturday at the Tops-Friendly Market in Buffalo. Meanwhile, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says the FBI is investigating and has called it a hate crime.
3: With respect to the tragic events of uh, of this past Saturday, uh, it is being investigated as the FBI articulated as a hate crime. the The term uh, domestic terrorism is a legal term, and because the investigation is ongoing, uh, I, I won't uh, I won't employ that term. Uh, but let me share with you some of the things that we are doing to battle domestic violent extremism, which we have identified since last year as one of the most significant terrorism-related threats uh, to the security of the homeland. Uh, We in the Department of Homeland Security, in partnership with the FBI, have issued an an unprecedented number of information bulletins and alerts to state, local, tribal, territorial officials who are on the front lines to equip them to identify when an individual is descending into uh, violence by reason of an ideology of hate or false narrative. Uh, We have dedicated grant funds, uh, additional grant funds for the first time in our grant programs identifying domestic violent extremism as a national priority area. We have distributed uh, those funds at an increased level in an unprecedented way. We created the Center for Prevention Programs in partnership to equip and empower local communities to address the threat within their respective jurisdictions. This is a higher priority area, and we're executing on the president's national strategy to, to battle domestic violent extremism.
0: Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. President Joe Biden is heading uh, tomorrow to Buffalo to meet the surviving victims. The president also honored Aaron Salter, a retired Buffalo police officer who was serving as a security guard at a local Tops Friendly Market, when the gunman opened fire on patrons Saturday afternoon in what authorities have deemed a racially motivated hate crime. Salter exchanged fire with the gunman and was shot and killed. Meanwhile, the new White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, remembered the victims of Sunday's mass shooting in Buffalo.
4: I want to take a moment to recognize the lives lost and forever changed in Buffalo. Former Buffalo Police Lieutenant Aaron Salter, 55, is a hero, a security guard who engaged the suspect to save lives and was killed in the process. Ruth Whitfield, 86, was mother of Buffalo's retired fire commissioner, Garnell W. Whitfield, Ruth was the rock of the family, devoting her life to taking care of her four children and husband. Ruth was visiting the former commissioner's father in a nursing home, as she did each day, and she stopped at the supermarket to buy some groceries. Catherine Massey, 72, was a well-known community figure who wrote for her local newspapers, assisted in elections, and dressed up in costume as Mr. Broccoli. To teach local school children to eat to eat right pearl young 77 was a substitute teacher and a true pillar in the community who who volunteered at a church food pantry every saturday hayward patterson 68 a driver and church volunteer Hayward worked as a driver who gave rides to residents to and from the grocery store and would help with their groceries when he uh, was killed. Celestine Chaney, 65, a grandmother to six. Celestine had been visiting her sister And they went to the supermarket because she wanted to get strawberries to make shortcakes, which she loved. Celestine prized her role as a grandmother, survived cancer, and was a regular churchgoer. Robert Drury, 32, uh, a resident of the uh, Syracuse area, she was at the supermarket to get food for dinner while in town visiting her brother. She always was the center of attention and made whole rooms smile and laugh, her sister said. Geraldine Talley, 62, was doing her regular grocery shopping with her fiancé on Saturday when she was shot and killed. According to her niece, Lakeisha Chapman, she was the person who always put our family reunion together and mother of two beautiful children. Andra McNeil, 53, Andra was going to the supermarket to get a birthday cake for her son when she was killed. Jahan Smith, McNeil's cousin, said he was a loving father and grandmother who used to check in on everyone. Margus D. Morrison, 52, Margus was a father of three and a Buffalo resident. We We recognize their lives today and those lost affected by gun violence this weekend in Houston, in Southern California, Milwaukee, and communities across the country. And we honor the bravery of those in law enforcement who responded quickly and with professionalism in Buffalo, and who risked their lives every day to protect and serve their communities. Tomorrow, as you all know, the President and the First Lady will travel to Buffalo to meet with families of the victims, first responders and community leaders. They will comfort the families of the 10 people whose lives were senselessly taken in this horrific shooting. And they will express gratitude for the bravery of members of law enforcement and other first responders who took immediate action to try to protect and save lives.
0: White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre. Meanwhile, in Brooklyn, Black Lives Matter organizer Anthony Beckford says politicians are holding back on calling the Buffalo shooting a hate crime.
5: It's definitely a racist action that occurred. A lot of electives and a lot of people seem to have this fear of stating what it was. It was an anti-black attack. It was an attack on black women. We saw the video where there was a white person in that same store And the shooter apologized to him when he realized he was a white man and continued to find black women and shoot them. And those who he did not kill, he went back around to find them to shoot them in their face. This was anti-black domestic terrorism. It was not mental health. It was not that he had a bad day at school or a bad day at work. This was racism at its worst. This was basically the foundation of white supremacy. Rearing this ugly face once again because people fail to combat against white supremacy and anti-blackness. If we could combat against any other hate crime, um, hate attack out there, why are people afraid to tackle anti-blackness in this country and in this state?
0: Black Lives Matter organizer Anthony Beckford, he'll join us again later in the newscast. And more Washington news, today President Biden awarded the Medal of Valor to 15 public safety officers, including a police officer and firefighter who died in the line of duty and paid tribute to a retired police officer who died in the mass shooting in Buffalo, New York over the weekend.
1: We paid tribute to all law enforcement officers and their families who understand what it takes, what's at risk to save and protect all of us that includes paying tribute to the buffalo police officer aaron Salder, slater excuse me who gave his life trying to save others when a government shot and killed 10 innocent people in a grocery store in buffalo on saturday he actually was able to shoot the assailant twice but he had on a, he had on a bulletproof vest and he lost his life in the process no one understands more than all of you here today the pain and anguish those families in Buffalo feel. But if they were pulled into a, as if you, you when it happens, at least in my experience, you feel like you're pulled into a black hole inside your chest and everything, everything. You can't and it's hard. <clears throat> but as you know you're part of a special community. A special community because the firefighters and police officers will always be there for you. I know it's a small consolation, but they'll always be there for you and your family and your children and your grandchildren, the whole family.
0: In recent weeks, a fissure has been growing among Democrats, though, about the direction of policing in the nation's largest city, New York. Last week, Mayor Eric Adams angrily blasted activists for blocking a return to quality of life policing. Adams says it's crucial to getting guns out of the hands of potential criminals, while activists and a new unexpected ally, district attorneys, have resisted calls to go after fare beaters and other so-called quality of life crimes. Again, Anthony Beckford of Brooklyn BLM.
5: In the NYPD, there's always a culture. It doesn't matter, like, who's mayor, who's city councilor, who's speaker. There's always going to be a culture within, and it's about who actually has the courage to basically, dem- you know, demolish that culture, to get the culture out of there, take-, take away the foundations the culture rely on. And that a lot of times is funding, but a lot of times that's also bringing about accountability so that way that culture could basically come to a full stop.
0: The mayor says that the opposing his quality of life type crimes, he specifically said jumping turnstiles at the subway. He was screaming at the DAs that it was, you aren't going to prosecute, but that doesn't mean we can't arrest, which I thought was a telling statement.
5: Because then that shows the deep that the DAs are actually having a conscience of heart to say, let's stop criminalizing poverty. The NTA makes billions of dollars a year. The city has billions of dollars in its budget but yet people still cannot afford 275 and have to hop the turnstiles. That's a telling story. It's not a tale of two cities. It's a tale of hypocrisy when it comes to many electives, and it's also a tale of classism. Those who can afford it, they're, they're not gonna take the subway, they're taking Ubers. They have personal drivers, but yet you have those in our communities who are working class, who are the ones who drive the city and make the city move, who are being prosecuted just because they can't afford ever inflated cost of transportation. And when you look at it, you know, that's not what policing should be about. Policing should be about stopping actual crime.
0: Do you see that is what's happening? They're gonna do more like broken windows policing, quality of life policing?
5: We do definitely see a lot of broken windows policing occurring. matter of fact, it never actually stopped. You know, for us who live it daily in our communities, we've seen stop and frisk continue, even after they said stop and frisk was a ballast. We really have to look at the fact of what's being done and planned behind news cameras. And it's not just the mayor, it's also council members who need to step up and actually say, you know what, if we're really going to represent the people, let's pass legislation and let's, let's continue us pass the legislation and introduce legislation that we know is brave enough for the people instead of being fearful for their next run if they're going to hold their seat or not. You'll hold your seat when you actually adhere to the demands of the people, the people who actually vote and not lobbyists, not powerhouses. Who want to put the fear of God in you, making you feel that like you're not going to get your seat back. Be an ally to the people, and the people be allied to you come election time. Show the people that you're working around the clock. If poverty was combated with the billions of dollars that's in this budget, instead of the ever-increasing inflation of funding that goes to the NYPD for them to be militarized, there's a real issue that tells you that needs to be had.
0: Black Lives Matter organizer Anthony Beckford, and finally, you may remember the scene when the former President Donald Trump suggested that COVID sufferers drink household bleach to fight the virus, a dangerously false assumption. At Trump's side was his highly respected coronavirus response coordinator, Deborah Burks. You might remember how she blanched as the president went on and on to tell us even that ultraviolet light might be another way of curing the COVID virus. Recently, Dr. Burks addressed the Forum Club of the Palm Beaches during a luncheon in West Palm Beach Monday. Burks warned against a COVID-19 surge across the U.S. South as summer approaches.
6: I'm very worried about what happens across the South um, in the summer. It seems like many people want to skip right to the fall, but that's my public service announcement. Um, Virus does circulate at a higher level in the summer across the southern states. Um, This is because, as you know, it gets too hot to be outside. So whereas the Northeast will be outside and entertaining outside and eating outside, you all move indoors in the summer. And before you go and visit your vulnerable family member, your aunt with metastatic breast cancer, or your mother or father that may be um, more elderly, just test before you see them, right before you see them. Um, so that you know in that moment you're not actively shedding large amounts of virus.
0: Former White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Deborah Birx, and she did not suggest we expose ourselves to UV radiation or drink household bleach. And that's on the news for Monday, May 16th, 2022. The news producer Linda Perry, our engineer's Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul D'Irienzo. Stay away from the bleach. Thanks for listening.